Welcome to the Language of Ahava podcast, a podcast for families with young children. So what happens when a rabbi and an early childhood teacher walk into a podcast? I think it's going to be fun, and I'm sure it's going to be about connections. Hi, I'm Karen DeWister, and I'm the early childhood teacher. And I'm David Steinhardt. I'm the senior rabbi at B'nai Torah Congregation. Every conversation that I have with Karen is always fascinating and leads to new ideas. So joining together with Karen, making connections together is really what our goal is. I thank you because what the perspective that you bring to my world and my experiences from the Torah, from tradition, from community, um, from parenthood and grandfatherhood, it's all magnificent. So here comes our podcast. Uh, we'll be posting every other Friday just before Shabbat because we want to make these connections with you. And when you give a little ahava, you make this world a better place. I'm ready, Karen. Let's get going. Here we go. Today's episode is episode number eight, and it is God in every blade of grass. It is the connection of nature, Shabbat, and Judaism. And I'm so excited because this is where Ahava Shabbat began four years ago. But hi, Rabbi. How's the co? How's my co-host today? Hi, Karen. I'm good. I'm I'm very well, and I'm happy to have this conversation with you today. I'm Especially happy to see today. you. We don't have, you know, two, every two weeks is not quite enough, but uh, for now, it'll help us start our groove. But I think you've had some great time in nature this week. Yeah, I did. I, I was up uh, visiting with uh, each of my three adult kids and their families, their, their spouses and their little children. And it's a really beautiful time of year in New England. So the temperatures were like 60, 65. Leaves are just beginning to change. And all my kids live in areas where there's great hiking paths. So almost every day we did walks in parks or we hiked up little smaller mountains. And I got to see both my kids in nature and experience that uh, together with uh, my grandkids. I love it. And uh, unfortunately, we had two special guests to join us today, a mom and a grandmother. And that grandmother has been instrumental in keeping our morning altars, Ahava Shabbat experience alive with her grandchild. So I want to come back to talking about the role of grandparents with teaching children about nature, because um, I know that um, your whole family is, celebrates nature and um, it and it is sacred in whatever that's going to mean. But let's begin with. The, God in every blade of grass is what you what was your vision saying let's bring Ahava Shabbat a Friday nature experience casual informal for families with one with young children and tell us what that meant to you then what it means to you now and what's your vision of connecting nature and Shabbat please um, you know, there are a few different dimensions to Shabbat. When we do Kiddush, we talk about Zecher Yitziat Mitzrayim, this idea of, of um, Shabbat being a reminder that we went out from Egypt. And in that way, Shabbat is an assertion of human freedom. And that is we give ourselves over to the day to appreciate the passage of time, realizing we can't be told that we have to work or realizing that we're not going to depend on, on um, we're not going to be in relationship with money or materialism, that we're going to find other 
other ways to connect on Shabbat. So we connect with family, we connect with prayer, we connect with song, we connect with food. So that's one aspect of it. And the other uh, aspect has to do with Shabbat having to do with creation. So we learn, you know, Zikaron Lamasev Reshit. It's part of the Kiddush also. It's a reminder of the works of creation. So we go back to the beginning of our story, the beginning of the Torah, where God created the world in six days, but the seventh day, God rested. So that seventh day, when he didn't do any work of creation, is also part of the creative process of living a full life. That is, we need a day off. We need a day to rest. And in our lives, and the vision that I have for us is that it enables us to pay attention to other things that we can't really pay attention to because we're always so busy. We're always doing things. We're always running errands. We're going from this play date to this to this store to preparing dinner. And it's natural and it's what we have to do. But imagine to have a day where we can sit in the grass for a little while and we can pick a blade of grass. There's a famous Hasidic rabbi, Reb Nachman of Ratzlaff, who said, in every blade of grass, there is a song. The song reflects the fact that it is part of that which is the essential, an essential component of life, a living thing, a creation of God, etc. So I always hearken back to my time when I lived as a rabbi in a small town and I was a couple blocks away from the synagogue and I would walk back and forth with my kids. I have a great little story to tell you about that. May I? It's Please. about the following. Because then it, I was in Ohio. And Ohio has pretty distinct seasons. You know, there's where we were in northeastern Ohio, there was, there was summer. And there was autumn. And there was winter. And there was fall. So walking with the kids over the course of a year... You know, we could point out to things that were changing. And sometimes, particularly in spring and the fall, the change from one week to the next could be pretty dramatic. That walk, the Shabbat walk, can enable us as parents and grandparents to point out different little, little things taking place in nature, a bud on a tree, a leaf that's falling, the color green and the difference between the different greens, etc., so one of the things about the laws of Shabbat is you're not supposed to harvest. You're not supposed to pick anything. And I remember walking with Gabrielle when she was, now Gabrielle is 38 years old. I remember walking with her when maybe she was three or four, four years old. And she knew that we didn't do our gardening stuff on Shabbat. And we walked by a lawn that had crocuses growing and daffodils. And it was filled with flowers, this lawn. And she went over to a flower and she was about to pick it. And then she stopped and she said, I'm not supposed to pick it on Shabbat. And I said, why? And she said, because I'm supposed to let nature be. It was so great. It was such a wonderful expression coming from a, tiny, a little girl, you know, and also made me feel like hey, she, had, she was learning. She was learning something. How so, yeah. magnificent. Um, I'm, I've got to pause you because I have to come back and hold some of those thoughts and concepts. Um, I love, I mean, what Gabrielle brings to that is priceless because knowing that 
as we have routines and rituals and experiences, children out of the out of the mouths of children will come wisdom and appreciation, and 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 she gets it. Um, and and I'm not sure that all of our listeners will be saying, "Don't pick, don't disturb nature on Shabbat." But what a wonderful single concept we could add to Shabbat. So please hold that and consider that on Shabbat, we let nature be. I mean, it is priceless. I mean, I think I want to make posters of it and, and put it in people's homes so that, I mean, that's, that alone is a ritual to pass on from today. Second, when I hear you talk about time and how time changes for Shabbat, and we have that time to appreciate, I know that if we're in nature, Time is not only different for in Shab- during Shabbat, but time is different in nature. It slows down, it, fast, it goes faster, it changes, whether it's you're looking at the length of the span of a year and seasons. Mm-hmm. And yes, we have seasons in Florida, everyone. I'm sorry. Humidity levels changes. The sense in the air changes. If you let go of that northeastern image ideal of of seasons, and I'm missing it too, Um, we can celebrate those changes. The other one is that walk and that ritual. And you have been telling us since day one and for years before our, our podcast, Shabbat is a ritual, nature is a ritual, and the importance and sanctity of it. So what I want to say is that walk on Shabbat, we need, and, and it reminds me of something that I love, which has nothing to do with our topic, and that is one of my favorite movies of all time is a movie called Smoke with Harvey Keitel. It's an old one, but he stands on the same street corner and takes a picture every day of his life. Mm-hmm. And, to, and I think that whether you do it once a month with your child, but just feeling the changes, growth, loss, seasons, so to be able to notice that on, so make that part of your Shabbat, go outside, check on the moon, check on the stars, check on the trees, check on the flowers, all of that becomes um, so important. So go you know, ahead. One of, something that um, I tuned into a long time ago was that when you sit in a place, just sit in one place. And specifically, I'm thinking about doing this outside. And just look at what you're seeing. Initially, what you could describe is the the mega view view of it. And then you start seeing more. And you start seeing more and more detail. And then you start seeing little details. And so you can do that with a kid. You can do that with a child. And you say, okay, what do we see? Describe what we see. And stay there for a while. And then the child will start to see more and to start to see more. Or lie on your back. I'm, I'm really lucky. I live on this beautiful canal with a big view. And so you can lie on your back on the grass, look up in the sky, and you can watch clouds move and you can watch clouds change. And you start talking about that. Now, if you the problem with this stuff is, first of all, you, you don't do it all the time. But if you have a day that affords you a little bit of a, the luxury of time to do some of these things, and the benefit is the child then carries that into their life the rest of the week. 
So if you really stop and look at a cloud, look at clouds forming, look at clouds changing, look at clouds moving, and you talk about seasons in Florida, you know, Karen, clouds are different in different seasons in Florida, right? They're big fluffy clouds around now, right? And then again in the spring, and then you have striated clouds and other types of clouds. And it's so wonderful because then over the course of the week, the kid will start noticing clouds and they don't know, they won't mention clouds at all. My favorite activity of all with my sons particularly, but I think my daughter liked it. And I know that I really like doing it was getting a bucket of stones, rocks, flat rocks, round rocks and sitting on the side of the canal and throwing the rocks in one at a time, watching the rings of water skimming rocks on top of the surface of, of the water. These are activities that don't cost a lot of money. They don't need any reservation, right? And there's nothing to take from it except appreciation. Perfection. And that's, and, you know, that's, and that's really, I think that's what we want to do. So ask me, so why? Like, why do we want to do that with our kids? Well, wait, and let I, me put a teacher point in here first. Yeah, and that on. is... Um, what when you describe the sitting out there and helping children attend to what's happening around them, creating those observational skills, having the sensory experiences, um, you trust them because just going to a sa the same place or having a ritual or routine, your children will show you, they'll start collecting the leaves. They'll start collecting the rocks. You don't have to even know this yourself or be the nature person. And in, in an early childhood, what we also call, one, one teaching strategy is, how do we make learning visible? And, and for young, young children, it's how do you make thinking and experiences visible? So when, I'm, when you're sitting next to your children looking at the clouds and talking about what you see, you're helping them create those sensory interactions. Yeah. And I don't want you to all go out and be teachers or think you have to be it planned or teach it. But it's this idea of by, show, by you participating as the parent, you allow them to see the value, feel the value, and then connect to you. Because once you are there in that shared experience, it becomes something um, that is safe and it's emotional and it's cognitive. I mean, it's just the richest kind of experience. Okay. Why do we do it? Go ahead. So, Toby um, has given each one of our grandchildren, Toby's my wife, for those who don't know, a box. And it's a nature box. And she'll go for walks with them and ask them, you know, like if they see anything that's a little bit unusual, a little bit different, they put it in their nature box and they save it. And we have their boxes. So there's feathers, pine cones, shells, things like that, that are all part of their nature boxes. And then, you know, I know kids love collections and they like to own things, you know, yes. that this is their nature box. And so that's a a good thing to do. I think that the answer to my the question that I asked or asked you to ask me, I think when you live life with appreciation, you're happier. Absolutely. I think people that don't, you know, people that don't appreciate the gifts in front of them um, aren't able to access the gifts of life 
um, people that just like complain about stuff all the time or feel like they need to have more and more and more, et cetera. I don't think they're as happy. And, and I, I think, think that, and happiness, I think, is one of the things we are all seeking. But we, and the nature and Shabbat piece of it is the world is trying to keep us very unhappy, empty, wanting, needing, never enough. And whether you choose Shabbat or whether you choose nature or whether you put those two together, that is going to be the joy. And, and that is the contentment because there is peace in Shabbat and in nature. I mean, you can't yeah. avoid it if you let it in. I, I want to recommend two places, two other places for everybody. One's the obvious and one is going to the beach, um, even just sitting on the bench and looking out and having the conversations about what's there, listening to the seagulls, you know, feeling the wind, all using our senses in response to that. And the other is um, Laksahachi is a long preserve. And part of the northern part of Laksahachi goes into a, uh, a state park. I think it's a na- state park, not a national park next to just north of Bedner's. There's a road that goes back in there. And there's a parking lot off to the left, uh, about a half mile in. And you can park your car there and then walk in and it's got these like pathways that are between swamp area where there's all sorts of great bird life and lilies and stuff like that. But if you follow it, there's a, there's a big uh, tall platform that o- overlook it overlooks the whole area. And it's a really fun place to go with your kids. I don't want to make this place too crowded. <laughs> I like going when no one's there, but it's okay. If I see you there, that'll be great. And if anybody needs the link to it, we'll get it from yeah. Rabbi. Bring a, uh, sam- bring a sandwich with you. Go up on top and sit with your kid up there. And it's fantastic. Also, Rabbi, our Arboretum is reopened. The ah, Deerfield Arboretum, the back center. So I'm going to be looking into that for an Ahava in 2022. So it's coming. I, I want to say one more thing before we move on. And that is when you described um, each blade of grass holding a song. And, and it's something beautiful about, and I have to come back to creation yet too. So, but, but there is something about Jewish storytelling and poetry Again, whether you want to talk about Shabbat or nature, both bring this. And what I want to say to parents is, if you're so inclined, and I know you have a deep appreciation for language, for poetry, um, for non-literal ways of capturing the world. And I want to say to everybody, so do children. They don't think literally. Um, So when you take some of these profound and poetic turns of phrases, like listening to a blade of grass, your children hear it and they will help us hear it, see it and feel it. So I don't want that to be passed over too quickly. I went through, and, went through a couple of hikes and uh, with separate grandchildren and uh, two of the two older ones, I asked them, you know, do they, do you like trees? And both of them did the same thing, both a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And that is they ran over and they hugged the tree. And I said, what are you doing? And she's and like, Aya said, I'm hugging a tree. I said, why? She said, because I love trees. I said, does the tree know you're hugging it? And she said, I think so. 
Wow. And we know from, we know absolutely definitely the trees do know and they communicate to each other about all of us being in their world. So, I mean, one here, here, cool thing I just learned recently. Yes. Uh, This was discovered amongst trees that are uh, outside the areas, uh, just outside the areas where there were fires in California. And that is the root system of living trees will go towards an area where new trees are, new saplings are starting. And they literally will release something from their roots that feed the baby trees. The communication the between trees, trees is mind boggling. They don't yeah. normally do that, but they only do it in places where there are little saplings growing and there's a need for those saplings to grow. Yeah. Mind blowing. Really, mind. So, I mean, I, I read a whole book about the communication and collaboration among trees, and I'll, I have to find out the name of it. I don't remember it, but um, let's, we're going to run out of time. Um, but one thing I want to say in, in, in honor of the person who isn't here with us today, which is Marilyn Moskowitz, because I want you to come back to grandparents teaching children. And, and because I think you have time for the storytelling, time for the nature, time to let go of commitments and obligations. And, but Marilyn does the same thing with her grandson, which is they collect nature treasures and they go on that treasure walk and that just becomes the thing they do. So tell us more about um, your experience um, and Toby's as grandparents, just what you bring either in addition to what your grown children do as parents or you do that your that the, that their parents can't do because of other commitments in life tell me about that grandparent perspective well first of all i yearn for more time i work a lot now as you know but what happens when you're when you're a grandparent and when you're with your kids is you know that and your grandkids you know your kids are really busy caretaking I mean, there's so much to do to straighten up the house all the time, to wash dishes, to prepare the next meal, to make sure, you know, clothes are clean and, and everything is going smoothly. But the grandparent comes and visit and doesn't have to pay attention to that stuff. The grandparent can pay attention to other things. And so whether it be in storytelling or whether it be in helping, you know, kids observe things that are around them or even asking about feelings you know like we it's parenting is really really hard and you get really caught up in all of the obligations and the details of just making sure things are in order and things are clean and people are well fed and etc but the grandparent has the capacity to think about higher in in a higher realm or spiritual things and to give that give a little of that to their grandchildren yeah and, and so some of what I want to say is to the parents, you can't feel guilty because you don't have the time for all the romance with nature and Shabbat and to pause in that, that deep way. So let the aunts and the uncles and the friend family and the grandparents come in, let there be that village because Parents can't do more, be more, and we don't want you to feel like you have to. Uh, yeah. But if you so are lucky, and- can I add something to that? I agree. You know, parents shouldn't feel guilty because they have so much, so much to be doing. But this gets back to the original thing about Shabbat and nature, and the reason we're doing this is that is 
So even if it's for one hour on Shabbat afternoon, where it's not a planned activity, you know, it's not a, it's not a destination. It's about being in a place, being, and and parents can do that. And it's amazing how just a little time doing something that's meaningful impacts a kid's perception and sense of self and sense of the world. I love it. I love it. Um, I, I don't know if I, you know, I struggle with this question, but I'm going to just throw it out for a wrap up. And it is, you know, I, and, and, and you could do it with a creation story. Cause I feel like there are so many Jewish stories about nature. And the first thing that I wrote down here was talking about children about nature is creation. I mean, and, and if you retell the creation story all year long, um, so in final wrap up, how much should we get caught up, sidetracked, or resistance to the God part of God in every blade of grass? I'm very comfortable with nature and Shabbat aligned, and I can feel the, oh, when I think about teaching children about nature, it's about something bigger than ourselves. It's about something that we are stewards for, caretakers for, with or without however we think about God. Um, but, but, you know, it's, uh, there is this sense in our culture that there's a resistance to the word God. Put a ribbon on this for us, Rabbi, please. I'm not, I'm not like overly concerned with, I'm not caught up with the language of God here. And you're not afraid of the word either. Oh, for sure not. Because, <laughs> because for me, and it's this is just me. I'm not telling anyone else to feel this way. God is in all being. So in every, the Reb Nachman of Bratislav's language is in every blade of grass, there is a song. In every blade of grass, there is a prayer. So it's, it's, and that's another way of saying that in every blade of grass, there is a piece or a part of God's being, his created world. So, Perfection. I thank you as always, Rabbi. Shabbat Shalom. Uh, when you give a little ahava, we hope to make this world a better place. And hopefully nature and Shabbat can help all of us do it together. These conversations make my day and make my week. And I think that they're so very, very important. I want everyone to listen and know you. Thank you. Thank you. Shabbat Shalom. Bye, Rabbi. Thank you so much for listening today, for being part of this moment, for being part of these Ahava connections, and for trying to give a little Ahava to one another. Thank you to my co-host, Rabbi David Steinhardt, for always adding timeless wisdom and a meaningful connection to our world and to this podcast. Thank you, B'nai Torah Congregation, for being our community of support and a place to share with one another. You hold us together in a world that is too often pulling us apart. Thank you to Cantor Magda Fishman for your voice, your whistling, your song, and the soul that you bring to everything you do. If you don't know Cantor Fishman, please check her out at B'nai Torah Services. You will be transformed and inspired. Finally, thank you to the Jewish Federation of South Palm Beach County for helping to fund this Ahava podcast 
and Ahava Nature Shabbat, and to our Ahava Malahim, our angels, the families who also help underwrite these Ahava projects. For more information about B'nai Torah Congregation, the website is btcboca.org. You can also find me, Karen Deerwester, at familytimeinc.com. Until next time, Shabbat Shalom and give a little Ahava. Take care. When you give a little love, you see, you make this world a better place. A much better place to be when you give a little ahava. When you give a little love, you'll see you'll make this world a better place, a much better place to be. You'll make this world a better place, a much better place to be.